Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates to elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Sasha Yulman, a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist and the director of diabetes education and prevention programs at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, two fantastic certified diabetes care and education specialists from Ohio join me to share their learnings and insights on how to create a successful support group for your diabetes self-management and education services or DSMES. Mary Ellen DeSmith and Leslie Andrews have over 20 years of combined experience in diabetes care and education and have been fine tuning their recipe for successful support groups over the years. You're sure to walk away with actionable steps to get started forming a support group and practical tips to engage an interactive group. So to get started, Mary Ellen and Leslie, can you share some of your background on this topic? Okay, well, thank you, Sasha, for having us. Um, I'd like to just start with the fact that the final S in the DSMES is all about providing ongoing support to our patients in need. We initially attempted to start a support group when we were an affiliate of the Joslin Diabetes Center, but it did not take off. We did not have the platform or the core group to start with. Presently, our diabetes education program offers a series of three classes using the conversation maps and curriculum that we developed using our health literacy principles. When the group classes would conclude, we were often asked, what's next? Our patients really enjoyed being in a casual atmosphere group setting and sharing their stories at class. We came across Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People with Diabetes, and we decided to offer a reunion class using a fourth conversation map and introducing habit number one of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. When we got together for this group, we asked the group if they were interested in starting a support group and if they were, that we would then teach a new habit of Stephen Covey's at each support group. They were all enthusiastically in support of doing this. So in 2013, we started a diabetes support group with about 10 people where we met every other month and we introduced a new habit from Stephen Covey. We are so blessed to be in our eighth year of support group. And we know that by offering a support group, it can impact the emotional health and improve self-care of our patients. Our patients tell us all the time that this support group is their lifeline. Wow, what a way to exemplify that person-centered care. I mean, it was your participants who initiated this and you just took off with it. So I love that. I'm curious though, through the pandemic, how has the group adapted to the changes brought about by COVID-19? Are they can still continuing to meet and interact? Yes. So in July of 2020, we moved from meetings six times per year to monthly virtual meetings. The main focus of our meetings over more than the last six months has really been dealing with the stress and isolation of COVID while still managing diabetes. 
We recently had a really lively discussion with our hospital pharmacist about the COVID vaccine, which really provided our members the wonderful opportunity to discuss their concerns and to dispel a few myths also. We've been averaging about 15 people per virtual meeting, which is down from our in-person average of around 25, but we're really very happy with the numbers given some of the technology challenges, uh, lack of computers and internet for some of our, our folks. About a third to a half of our meeting participants are really still calling in using flip phones and landlines. The group has really enjoyed seeing and hearing from each other during this difficult year. Many from the core group of that 2013 have continued to join us and we have welcomed many new people, always providing a safe, non-judgmental environment for discussion and support. And because we are able to invite new members, the group does not become clicky and it really affords us the opportunity for new perspectives and insights. That's great. How do you make sure that core group fits together? You said they're not real clicky. So how do you make sure that continues? So I think it begins in our DSMES program. We definitely have a welcoming atmosphere. And initially, we meet one-on-one -on -one with each of our patients for an initial assessment. We encourage them to join us for class. And then it is through the class that it feeds the support group. So we encourage the people that attend class to then come and join us for support group. And because they like that class atmosphere most of the time, we do get at least half to more of those folks that join us for support group. So we do take time to listen to their stories and make it a point to ask what they want to get out of their education sessions. It's so important to develop a relationship with each patient so that they feel like they're being heard. We address any issues our patients might be dealing with. Life can be so overwhelming if you have stress at home, if you have no food in your refrigerator, if you can't afford medicine, or you don't feel safe. Many times we are referring our patients to our legal aid for assistance, and we also help them with food from our pantry. We make it a point to remember patients' names, family members, and something of interest to them. This way they feel welcome and they want to come back. I love it. Tell me a little bit more about what your support groups currently look like. First of all, we are located in an urban setting. So our support group is about 80% African-American, 15% Caucasian, and about 5% Latino. So the majority of our group is really in the lower socioeconomic bracket. We currently have about 30% males, which is usually a very difficult demographic to engage with DSMES and support groups, but our men are active participants and the ladies are very welcoming to them. It's, it's a really, truly a nice group. The group is always willing to share and discuss their personal experiences, and they're also willing to go up to new people and introduce themselves. Wow, that's an impressive group, and, and you're right. Engaging men in a support group can be definitely challenging, so that's, that's impressive. So how can other diabetes care and education specialists implement strategies that support this kind of sense of community, and how can they replicate what you're doing in their community? So the first step truly is developing that relationship within your program and truly listening to your patient because really they just want to be heard. Did you ever hear the quote that nobody cares what you know unless they know that you care? 
So that's really important. When you listen and learn about who your patient is, it helps them to feel that they're not just a chronic disease. I do have a story about a quiet African-American gentleman who I saw one-on-one -on -one for his assessment. And at the end, I invited him to join us for class, but really I wasn't sure if he was gonna show up. So class time came and he did show up and I was thrilled to see him. And at the beginning of our classes, um, when we have everyone sitting around our table, I asked them to share their name, how long they've lived with diabetes, and then tell us something interesting about themselves or something that they enjoy doing. So this gentleman, when it um, came his turn, shared with us that he wrote music for Motown and he actually traveled around the world with a very famous Motown singer. And of course, everybody in the group was in awe and, you know, just made him feel really good about himself as a person, not just somebody living with a chronic disease. So this gentleman also continues to come to our support group. He's been involved at least for the last seven years. So you can see how just giving that personal attention means so much that they're not just coming here to learn, you know, the fact that they have diabetes, that they are more than just a person with diabetes. What we have found is that a sense of community is developed over time. Our group has developed a really strong sense of community, but it takes time. They need to know that they feel safe, that they won't be judged, and that their voices are heard. So we're always welcoming new, new members. So that does kind of change the dynamic of the group. But I think because our group is so welcoming and we have those introductions, um, that it helps them to feel welcome. In one of our support groups, we actually had members ask if they could give testimonials, and that was a very popular support group. We had a number of people just stand up and tell their stories. Um, one lady had been homeless, and this is a lady who had a college education, who had had a job, and, you know, life happened. She became homeless. She found out she had diabetes, and what she shared with the group was that that was the straw that broke the camel's back, I mean, fell into a depression, but she also shared that coming to the program and joining this support group is what saved her. So it meant a lot to her to have that support and that her voice would be heard. Wow, I love those examples. And really, some of your examples had absolutely nothing to do with diabetes. And I think that's a hard thing as a diabetes care and education specialist when someone comes to you they may not want to talk about that the first time you talk to them. And I love that you keep that open and, and you heard about that and you listened. I think it's, that was, I heard that over and over, just listen. And that's, that's great. So in our last few minutes here, um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what else you do to cultivate that openness inclusion in the group? Yeah. So I think cultivating the openness and inclusion really begins for us with understanding our population and their needs we found that it was really critical for us to provide reminder mailings, phone calls a couple days ahead of time to remind people. And we recently even ventured into sending emails, which was new for some of our members. But because of COVID and the use of technology, we wanted to send them the link to the Zoom meeting. So they have been open to getting more emails, which is making our life a little bit easier. Transportation is always a huge issue. And we are able to provide lift rides to support group and free parking. There is always an open invite for members to invite their family members to attend. 
We always, of course, provide a healthy snack, a takeaway, and we always have multiple raffles at the end of the meeting, which just adds a little fun and who doesn't like to win something at the end of a meeting. We do like to involve the group in choosing topics, and we have invited some to conduct presentations on topics relevant to them. One of our patients who grew up in the neighborhood surrounding the hospital, she actually is really an amazing community advocate. She's been a community advocate for probably her whole 80 years, and she shared her voice for Black History Month, speaking on Cleveland and the neighborhood she grew up in. And so many of our group responded with smiles, nods, and shared similar stories. Uh, it was a really beautiful strengthening of their bond. So many of them did not know that they grew up just a few blocks away from each other. And so there were many stories shared after that support group. And we do provide time at the end of the meeting to share successes, to give folks time to chat at the end, and really foster that sense of belonging. One of our meetings, we actually chose to spend a couple minutes of the meeting choosing a name for the group. Uh, we brainstormed together different names and there was a vote and the group decided to name themselves Sweet Life. We had t-shirts made which fostered a sense of belonging and ownership. We often see folks uh, with the Sweet Life Diabetes Support Group t-shirts on to come to their visits and out in the community. It really provided them with a sense of belonging. At the end of the meeting, we always provide time for sharing your successes. And that really brings the group together because they are able to share some of those highlights from the last couple months of things that have been going on with them. That leads me to thinking, tell me a little bit more how you structure the program. I started a support group myself, but I had no idea what I was doing. So I just invited people to come and talk, but I'd love to hear more about kind of how you've structured it and what happens at these meetings. In regard to structure, we really wanted to provide not only a space for support, but really a way to reinforce the self-management concepts. We make a point to always greet people at the door. We're pretty good with names now. And we do provide folks name tags so that they can start to familiarize themselves with new people and provide for um, more interaction before the meeting starts. At the start, we do always have folks introduce themselves to those sitting near them. And we always have a speaker, most of the time someone besides the educators because they've already heard from them at, at multiple visits. All of our patients take a pre and post knowledge survey. So we are able to analyze that data and identify concepts that we might need to reinforce. And we're really lucky at the hospital to have access to internal medicine residents, dentistry and podiatry residents. Uh, some of our nurses have come and spoke on wound care, our pharmacists and dietitians. So we really have a great network who's always willing to come and spend their time with us. And because we do a lot of work in the community, we've been able to bring in many speakers from artists to life coaches, yoga instructors. We've had musicians, we've had an interfaith choir and a cellist and a violinist. And I know these may not speak directly to diabetes self-management, but they do focus on the mental and spiritual components of health that really play such a critical role in overall well-being. 
And I think because we have such a good understanding of our group, we really are able to provide these less than traditional programs with a lot of success. Wow, that's a lot of cool stuff that your participants get to hear about and learn about in your sessions. So it's so impressive, but how do you make it sustainable? How do you support this financially? Yeah, so I think even before you go to approach administration, I think you have to gauge your department's interest and enthusiasm for starting a group. Is there genuine interest in putting in the time needed to make it successful? I will say that once you do get started, you really are energized by the response. I know that we are. Uh, Mary Ellen and I get so much joy and a real sense of making a difference in the lives of our group. And I will say that after all these years, they really have become part of our family. Our hospital is very supportive of our efforts. They provide us the time to make the phone calls, the mailings, to really spend time developing the programs. And it's really, they look at it as a benefit to the community. We have over the years secured some grant funding to provide monies for food, transportation, the giveaways, um, minimal speaker costs. Really, we've had very little of that. Really, it has not taken a ton of money. So I'll say that a little money can really go a long way. So it sounds like a lot of passion and dedication, too, from your team. What kind of resources have you found to be helpful for your participants? During COVID, it really opened our eyes to the need of some of our patients for computers and internet access. So we have been working with some local nonprofits and some of the internet providers to provide folks with computers and low-cost internet. In addition to that, just some resources that we've been providing for, for years is really addressing the social determinants of health. We've had multiple support groups with organizations and representatives from our local food bank. We at the hospital have a medical legal partnership with the Legal Aid Society. So our patients have access to lawyers at no cost to help them with potentially utilities, rent issues, any type of insurance issues that they're having. So I would reach out definitely to local organizations. Most communities do have a legal aid society. Folks just need access to that. We've also tapped into some of our academic institutions. We've done a lot of work with OSU Extension and their dietitians. They've come and provided some really great cooking demonstrations and programs for our folks. And before COVID hit, we were initially going to provide a community program, hoping that that might feed our support group also. So the OSU dietitian was going to do a dining with diabetes program in the community offered to anyone who had diabetes. And we thought that might funnel some folks to us also. Another link that we often make is for behavioral health services. So many of our patients suffer with depression and just need, need some help in that area with counselors. And we do try to link them to those services, which can often be difficult to schedule. And so we try our best to get them appointments as best we can. And as I said, we also work with our local food bank. We do ask food insecurity questions during our assessment, so we're aware of who needs maybe some assistance with food. 
and we do provide links to the food bank so that they can get SNAP and emergency food. And wow, I, you know, I review applications for accredited programs and look at this ongoing support and you all really are exemplifying ongoing support for your participants in every way. Um, And really think about all the things that that impact someone with diabetes, because this isn't just the diabetes stuff, right? Everything impacts your day to day. But kind of thinking on, on those terms, kind of a last question here I have for you, what action steps can listeners start putting into place today to create successful support groups? So I think both Leslie and I feel that the most important thing is to know what works for your group and to really know the group of people that you're working with. Get a feel for the personality of your group. And you know what? Just kind of throw the idea out there. If you have a group that you're working with, And then get some feedback from them, you know, try and see if they would be interested. And like we had said before, having that core group to start with really makes a big difference. I mean, when we started the group the second time, just having that group of people is what helped with our success. And then we also had a platform to work with. We had an idea to work with. So we introduced those seven habits just with habit number one to kind of reel them in. And then they knew what they were coming for. So really, if people feel comfortable and they know what to expect, if they know that something is dependable and reliable, if they feel safe, these are all really important things um, to have when you're starting up a support group. So like I said, just throw that idea out there. Um, It's also important not to be not to be too strict, to be open minded, because things can change over time. And to kind of let the group lead, you want them to feel that this is their group. And I will say that our folks have told us that they feel 100% that this is their group. One of our participants shared with us that this support group is a different kind of medicine. It touches on the physical, the emotional, and spiritual, spiritual aspects of living with a chronic condition. We actually had taken a survey from our members just to get feedback on the meetings and their needs. We wanted to make sure that we were really meeting their needs. So one of the questions we asked them was to give us one word to describe the group. So some of the adjectives they gave us were helpful, beautiful, kind, proud to be a part of, compassionate, amazing, dependable. It has lasted over time and a blanket of goodness. So like I said, I think um, really this support group is what Leslie and I are most proud of in our program because it has lasted over time and it brings so much joy, not only to the participants, but to us. So if at first you don't succeed like us, remember this quote that we share with our patients. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Wow. You guys are definitely an inspiration. Um, So there you have it. Mary Ellen and Leslie have distilled the elements of a successful support group into actionable and practical steps you can start taking today. Remember that the needs of the person with diabetes always comes first. By allowing the support group to address any issues the individual might be facing, you stop the issues from interfering with their diabetes management. Also remember that a culture of openness and inclusion starts in your DSMES encounters 
and will keep your participants coming back for more in the support group. These groups are a great opportunity to provide supplemental information on self-management, but make sure the participants share their input and shape the content so they can share and learn what they're most interested in. Meeting people where they are is our goal. For any additional notes and resources from today's episode, check out the show notes at diabeteseducator.org slash podcast. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult with your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Thank you.